Welcome everybody back to this Market of Zero podcast presented by Steel Post Media. I'm your host Alex Fanebecker, and today I have a special guest co-host coming from coming to you directly from Des Moines, Iowa, home of Zombie Burger, the Drake Bulldogs, and Impact Pro Wrestling. Mr. Noah Carroll, how you doing, Noah? I'm great. How are you? Good, good, good. Uh, big news uh, for those of you listening. Uh, if you are downloading this from Steel Post Media, thank you. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and now Spotify as well. Pretty much anywhere you listen to your your favorite shows. Please hit that subscribe button and throw me a review. I want to hear what you think. We want to make this better. That's why we have Noah with us today, because I'm sure you're tired of listening to my voice. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Don't forget, you can follow me on Twitter at SmartItAZero. You can follow our fearless leader, Oz Marley, at SteelPostMedia. And our boy Dallas Barnes is on Twitter at AllWrestling420. Finally, as always, a big thank you to my co-host today, Noah Carroll, at Noah7BC. He's the one, of course, that does the music for our intros and outros. I've been saying for weeks I was going to get him back on for future episodes, and here we are. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) How's everything going down in Iowa, Noah? Uh, Pretty good. You know, just kind of a busy summer, work, summer classes. But besides that, it's all good. Fantastic. Uh, I also want to give a very special continued shout-out to our friend, uh, new friend of the program, Rusty in North Carolina. Uh, Rusty, of course, has been sending me some great reading material on uh, professional wrestling dating back to the 1950s, and for me, it's like Christmas morning, so I'm, I'm digging in. I'm still, re- uh, still reading Front Row Section D and having a really good time with it. So this week, we're going to jump into our tape study for 30, and we are covering one of my favorite tag teams of all time, the Steiner Brothers. Noah, do you remember the Steiner Brothers at all, and if so, what do you remember? Um, I know nothing about the Steiner Brothers. Uh, for one, so is this is this Scott Steiner like before, uh, like Big Papa Pump? It is, it is. It's it's uh, what uh, I think eight or nine years before Big Papa Pump, and uh, okay. yeah, just for our listeners to put some context into this, Noah, how old are you? Uh, I'm 20. I started watching wrestling in um, late 2011, right before WrestleMania 28. Sure. CM Punk was champion. So. So so when this match happened, you weren't going to be born for another eight years yet. I mean, this, right. this is, uh, so to put this into perspective, you know, for Mid-South, we're going back and watching wrestling from around the time that I was born. Uh, for you, this match is like me watching, you know, early 70s stuff. Yeah, so it's, yeah it's, because I, I've never seen anything with the Nasty Boys or the Scott Signers, uh, or the Signer Brothers, I should say, before this match. So it's kind of like a uh, first time for all of it that and that just to me that just blows me away but that's because i was when you started wrestling or when you started watching wrestling that's about the time i was watching these guys so that's (laughs) you know when i was a kid when we were the same age now the first time i got to see the steiner brothers was when they debuted for the wwf this would have been i think they signed back in 92 but they didn't actually wrestle for the wwf until 1993 so i would have been 10 or 11 years old I immediately took to them, and I mean, you can tell by looking at them when we get to the match, they're both big, they're both strong. Oh, yeah. it, it's funny when you have a team that's so powerful that Scott Steiner is the guy that gets the heat. He's the one who does the selling <laughs> and takes the beatdowns, and they moved faster than anybody else in the WWF oh. at that time. I think that's the thing that surprised me the most when I was watching this match. Just I expected, because even the Nasty Boys are pretty, bit, pretty mm-hmm. big, um, and then just these two big, like, you know, like Bludgeon Brothers size tag teams, and they're moving exactly. like 
just fast, like super athletic moves. So, um, yeah. Well, absolutely. And, and of course, this one, the match we're going to cover today is prior to when I first saw them by about three years. Uh, this is from their WCW run. Specifically, we're looking at 1990, the Halloween Havoc match they had against the Nasty Boys, who were surprisingly trim. You know, if, if you get the chance, if you're watching older WWF footage with the Nasty Boys, you know, of course, they had uh, they had really fun matches against the Hart Foundation. They had matches, you know, pretty much with anybody. Jimmy Hart was their manager in the WWF for a while. They got kind of beefy, a little round. I don't want to say soft in the belly because they could both kick my ass. <laughs> but, um, but it was, you can see the difference where when we watch this match, you know, you're going to see that violence. You know, they're, sure. they're fighters. In the WWF, it's more uh, fun. Okay. Uh, yeah, they, just more nasty than usual. Yeah. I mean, like, like in the WWF, they had a move called the pit stop. Okay. And what they would do is uh, one of them would spit in their hand and rub it on their armpit. <laughs> And that was usually Sags, I think. And Nobs would take the, uh, the the jobber's head and shove it into Sags armpit, and that was the pit stop. And it was so gross, but it, it was more gimmicky stuff. It was fun to watch. It wasn't like this match actually made me a little uncomfortable at times because it was just so violent. Yeah, what was 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 that armpit move? Was that like a submission or something? No, no, no. It was. Well, and the thing is, they were they were bad guys at that point in time in yeah, the WWF. Okay, okay. So it was like, that was how they got heat and it was just unnecessary and dirty. And, <laughs> you know, back when heels cheated and did nasty things just for the fun of it. Um, but, uh, Interesting, yeah. But uh, we're going to jump straight to that match. We're going to let everybody get set, jump onto your WWE network, find Halloween Havoc 1990. It's in the, it's in the WCW pay-per-view list and get to the, the timestamp. You want 13, 39 minutes, 40 seconds, and we'll give you the play command here in just a moment. So if you're set, if you're ready to roll, we're going to hit play in 3, 2, 1. So here we go. So no, I don't know how much uh, WCW you had the chance to watch uh, since the network came out. But... Uh, um. Besides some random pay-per-view matches, honest, next to none. So this was like, um, pretty much like the first real glimpse I've had of WCW. Okay. And would this be in um, its prime still before it just starts getting like all downhill, right? Well, th- this is, uh, I, it really depends on who you ask. Because sure, it okay. was, you know, if, if you ask Tony Schiavone, you know, he left for the WWF in, what, 88, 89, something like that, and then came back to WCW. He's back here. And you'll see him later on. He does the interview segment okay. with, with Scott Steiner later in the Phantom of the Opera getup. When he came back to WCW, yeah. he felt like the company was going to fold then. Uh, so this is, it's one of those weird situations where I still, when I watched this, I loved it. But it's... If you talk to folks in the industry, it's almost universally reviled, and I've never. Uh, oh really? So I, I, you know, you wish you could get more, you could get that crystal ball, look into it, and see what was happening. But um, mm-hmm. so the Nasty Boys are in the ring. The Steiners are coming down with the U.S. Tag Team Championship belts. And if you're wondering, Noah, yes, there were like 35 different championships. I swear. I mean, my first questions. But, and, uh, yeah, they go right at it here. Oh, I, yeah. I don't know much of the context behind their rivalry. So, like, if you could, like, just give me a, like, uh, yeah. 
quick um, summary of it. Sure, sure. So uh, uh, the Nasty Boys, they they started, they actually grew up together. They're both from Pennsylvania. They debuted in the AWA in 1985 uh, and moved to Memphis in 86 uh, and then eventually to Florida Championship Wrestling. And that's where they really picked up steam. They didn't come to WCW until pretty much right before this match. Oh, really? Okay. So So this is not their debut match, but it's one of like... uh... Could it be like one of their biggest matches they've had up to this point? Or uh, up to this point, this is the their. I would say yeah. I would say this is their okay. biggest match to date. And of course, they come back to WCW years later and win the tag team championships with Missy Hyatt and all that. But uh, at this point, this is their. I would call this their breakout. Uh, and they okay. don't. They don't stick around. You know, uh, uh, they they leave. This is what. This is 1990. This would be Halloween Havoc. So October. They leave okay. WCW in December of 1990, so in just a couple months, and go to the WWF. So okay. they're not... right here, I really love this uh, superplex, just oh the build up to it, uh, or the body to body off the top rope. That's insane. Well, look, look at his look at his physique. I mean, people, people yeah. talk about how much muscle mass he added his big, big pop of pump. Like, Scott Steiner was chiseled, and. Yeah. You're right. His belly to belly suplexes, that belly to belly off the top rope to uh, to sags, is mm-hmm. just is just nasty. And you watch Rick Steiner just hit knobs in the face, and it didn't look like he pulled any of it. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, like, and that stomped the back of his head. Oh too. my gosh. You see that? And this is and this is nothing new. Like the Steiners have a reputation uh, of sorts uh, for being very stiff. Uh, really. They're um, depending on which shoot interviews you listen to. The Steiners could be absolutely horrible backstage. Mm-hmm. Even uh, I guess they tormented Butch Reed. I don't know if you know who Butch Reed is, no. but he teamed with Ron Simmons for a while uh, as Doom. Okay. Uh, okay. Hacksaw Butch Butch Reed. Actually, a pretty big deal. Uh, wrestling the WWF for a while too, and um, they just they'd absolutely torture him. I think there's a pretty famous story in Impact where oh look at this. Scotty cinches up, sags. He does this better than anybody. This tiger bomb. Tiger, yeah. One and, of my favorite moves, too. Just so smooth. And then, yeah, another like seemingly stiff hit from... Uh, is that Scott, the purple one? No, Scott's in the green. So Scott is, uh, okay. Scott's okay. got the longer hair. Looks like he's chiseled out of granite. Rick looks like he could brawl anybody in an alley. And check this out. This flying... This, flying, this, is, the, uh, well, this is what they finished everybody in the WWF well, with as well. You know, oh, that, okay. Okay. And it's just—that's the first thing I saw them do in an enhancement match in the WWF, and it was—they were essentially the the Legion of Doom without face paint. They were just that dominant. Okay. okay. Yeah, it's just and it's like just up to this point, this match has just been insane so far. Just so like already have like three pretty big spots in it, and mm-hmm. oh man. Like, just starts out so intense. Like, these guys really hate each other uh, is, like, the impression I get, so. Well, and that's, and you're seeing chair shots to the head, which is something you didn't generally see in WCW at this point. You know, these guys are wrestling, you know, eight to ten years ahead of their time. Okay, okay. And uh, and with the Steiner brothers, they're tough as nails. And they actually, they had a really, uh, uh, if if you ever get a chance to look at it, they would go to New Japan during this time quite a bit as well. And their matches in New Japan, they might as well have been straight up killing motherfuckers. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. I mean you saw you saw the tiger bomb, you saw the belly to belly off the top ro- or off the middle rope. Uh, 
Um, Scott Steiner would finish folks with this move called the Steiner Screwdriver. Have you ever seen that? Um, does he do it in this match? No. Well, I, I don't think he does. He essentially picks him up for a, a side suplex. Okay. And oh, and then does the uh, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it's like it's like a falcon arrow, but instead of dropping them on their back, you drop them on their head. It tu- okay. He turns it yeah, into a pile driver actually, instead. A move that no one would get away with uh, in oh WWE now, I'm sure. And it's, you know, apparently Japanese wrestlers just don't have vertebrae. <laughs> they just take it. <laughs> it's, it's insane. But, uh, but to keep up with the Steiners, it seems like you had to be able to brawl. You Because they were going to go, and they just left it up to you to keep up with them, or you'd get run right. over. So... I mean, you see this. There's okay. nothing pretty about it. Sags is throwing headbutts to the back of Scotty's to the back of Scotty Steiner, and he's not pulling him. He's just throwing himself okay. into Scotty's back. I think at this point, too, after all the oh, just accidentally paused it. Um, <laughs> okay, we're good. Um, up to this point, yeah, it had been pretty fast paced. I think they're just like all need a breather right now. I mean, he's throwing them around, but still, they're both kind of, um, you know, like, uh, kind of slowing down the pace a little bit, which is like, yeah, well-needed breather. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and like we talked about before, I mean, you look at Scott. The guy's huge. And he's going to get bigger. I mean, his physique as, as Big Papa Pump was insane, but, you know, how tough are the Steiners that Scott Steiner is the one who who does all the selling? You know, mm. when, when Rick is the powerhouse of the team... What does that What does that tell you about how tough they are? <laughs> where Where'd uh, Rick turn out later? Because so, of course, like Scott seems like he became a lot more famous. But um, yeah, what about Rick? Yeah, so it, it, it's kind of funny because they bookended each other's careers. I feel like uh, Rick actually started wrestling first. They didn't come in as the Steiner brothers. Uh, Rick teamed and actually won the UWF tag team. Brothers? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, okay. Yeah, and yeah, Rick's Scott. Older, right? Rick is older, yeah. It's, it's Rick and Scott Recksteiner. And um, Rick worked in UWF, which is funny because we're going to cover Mid-South later. Uh, Mid-South became the UWF when Bill Watts was trying to make his promotion more national. Okay. okay. So uh, Rick Steiner teamed with, in the UWF, teamed with Sting, as part of Hot Stuff International with Eddie Gilbert, and they won the UWF Tag Team Championships. That was all the way back in 87. Um, now, the Steiners, as a tag team, didn't exist until 1989. So when you think okay. this match is in 1990, uh, you know, right. with, within the course of a year, the Steiners were already dominating tag team wrestling and winning championships all over the world. And I'm sure you heard with the crowd reaction that they are... They, they've got these crowds in the palm of their hand. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when was the last time you saw a breakout team like that just completely dominate? You know, it, it doesn't okay. happen. Okay, yeah, sure, sure. And, and I think that's that's kind of part of the tragedy of it because I loved the Steiners as a kid. Even even into my teenage years, I, the Steiners were two of my favorite wrestlers. And then you start to hear from folks that say, well, yeah, you know, remember when they duct taped Disco Inferno up and pulled his pants down? Well, that that was actually kind of funny. But, um, (laughs) you know, sort of the hazing, you know, things that if you believe some of the rumors, things that would stop just short of felony assault backstage, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, gosh, you know, is, is, 
is Scott just that much of a dickhead or is, is, is are these things exaggerated? Because you don't want to think that your heroes could do that. Right, right. Uh-huh. But, but, you know, I think you, you kind of have to accept it and separate the wrestling because I was a huge Ultimate Warrior fan growing up and Rick Steiner just took a nasty dive over the top rope. And oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Knocked his head on no, the floor. No, wa- watch this. The spike pile driver. Uh, that was, you, you see Sags fell back farther on his ass a little bit to protect Scotty. But Nobbs was pushing down as hard as he could, uh, and that chair shot there to the back of Jerry uh, to the back of Jerry Sags. Um, when Sags gets up, you know Rick just split him wide open in the back of his head oh, with that right, chair. Yeah, you know, he busted him open hard. I think here. blood starts pouring down his head. Oh yeah. Huh. So, so far, I mean, watching this match, it, it's. I, you don't want to call it a clusterfuck, but it kind of has been. It's just been insane, uh-huh. but in the best yeah. possible way. And I mean, yeah, obviously because the crowd is super into the match right now. Um, and, and what's kind of cool about uh, just Halloween Havoc, it's just like everybody looks like they're dressed up. It's just kind of a th- fun theme, too. And you know, and I'm, I'm glad you said that because when I watched this as a kid, I thought so, too. And mm-hmm. that's one of the things that gets made fun of a lot. Yeah, you know, and 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 it's um, and and what's actually what I what I really liked about this one in particular is that you know I love Tony Schiavone, I I think you know I grew up watching Tony Schiavone call matches whether it was that year in the WWF or whether it was on uh, you know Jim Crockett promotions and WCW, but Jim Ross and Paul Heyman are doing commentary for this match. Oh right, right, and I think yeah. And and this is back. I don't I don't have much time for Paul Heyman nowadays. Not because he's not good. It's just because um, it's probably because of who he advocates for. But, um, yeah, yeah, that's a whole different subject. <laughs> yeah, but uh, his commentary, you know, in in limited doses, was just outstanding. And mm-hmm. I, I thought he did a great job here. I thought he was a great heel announcer, getting under Jr.'s skin. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh, look at Sag's head. He's just <laughs> probably yeah. did not want to be tagged. <laughs> oh my God! Unless he get revenge back on him. Oh yeah. Yeah, get his receipt. <laughs> probably actually pissed. <laughs> you know, and and how do you how do you not be? I mean, I walk through the living room and get pissed if I stub my toe on accident. Sags just had the back of his head busted open unintentionally oh. by Rick Steiner. You got to be just naturally pissed off, you know. Yeah. Sit down a little lower on that Boston crab. <laughs> it, it, it definitely intensifies the match too. Like just knowing that they actually don't like each other and they're actually trying to hurt each other to some degree is like it really adds a lot to it. <laughs> as terrible as it is. Well, yeah, and, and I've got to wonder how well they really got along. Because I know, I know at least modern in the current day, Scott Steiner has no time for Hulk Hogan. You know, I think I think if he saw Hogan crossing the street, there wouldn't even be skid marks from the tires. But uh, <laughs> you know, Brian Nobbs is one of Hulk Hogan's best friends. Oh. Okay. And uh, you know, I don't know if you ever watch Hogan Knows Best or you ever watch Thunder in Paradise or anything like that. <laughs> Nobbs is always there. Oh really? Yeah. Okay. Okay. And. Uh, and you could tell by the look that he has, he's not exactly hard to pick out of a crowd. 
<laughs> so. <laughs> Absolutely not. No. So, and, um, so Nobs is a blonde mullet. Yes. Yep. Nobs is our blonde boy. Sags has uh, has the dark hair. Mm-hmm. I also just like want to take a moment to admire the mullet mohawks that they have going on, matching too. It's it's cute. Yeah. <laughs> we we need more of this. I I need we need more mullets in professional wrestling. Because uh, even you look at Scott, this is before he kind of grew his hair out a little more to get away from the mullet. This is mm-hmm. full-on intentional, you know, this is some uh, Patrick Swayze stuff going on. Yeah, yeah. we need to throw the bullet club out of the window and just get a, uh, get ourselves a mullet club Ooh, now. I like it. I like that yeah. a lot. And uh, <laughs> they, they drive the general lead of the ring. It'll be fantastic. <laughs> but... So these guys now it's it slowed down considerably, but it hasn't gotten any less violent. Yeah. So, um, and even though I don't know if you'd call it telling a story, or if the story is they're just going to brutalize each other, but nobody is leaving. You know, everybody right. is either standing or they're watching intently, and I'm sure some of them are pretty horrified. Rick gets the hot tag here, and he comes in and just starts laying lumber. Now Rick's mm-hmm. clothesline was so flipping hard. They didn't call it a clothesline. You know, they called it the oh, Steiner right. line. Well, what did the Rick line, right? The Steiner line. Oh, Steiner line. Yep, yeah. yep. And, uh, you know, I, I'd put it up there with, I don't think it's quite as uh, spectacular looking as the Lariat or, or the clothesline from hell, but I bet it hurt just as much. <laughs> Cause, oh, yeah. Uh, I think there's a clothesline that uh, dislocated McFoley's jaw and TNA, and like when you go back and look at it, it really doesn't look like it hit him that hard. But you know, like they do, <laughs> and yeah, it doesn't always have to look the part to do the job. So, well, and, and it's funny you mentioned that because that also happened to him uh, when he was enhancement talent for the WWF. He uh, mm-hmm. he wrestled the British Bulldogs and Dynamite Kid. <laughs> Either double dis- sacker lock and top rope, oh row. man, or mid rope. Sorry, but yeah, but, but yeah, dynamite, dynamite uh, clotheslined him so hard that he either broke or dislocated his jaw. And, oh, geez, uh, yeah. So here we go. Oh jeez, you know, as if a body slam isn't hard enough. You know, as if it wouldn't hurt enough when you watch Scott Steiner bounce off the mat on the outside from it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can feel that. But <laughs> the nasty boys double teaming Rick in the ring. He dump ducks and Scotty takes him down. So this is I would imagine there are a few horror movies that are as scary as having Scott Steiner pull you outside of the ring. <laughs> uh, and just oh man. Oh here yeah, we like go. you said, like it it, it has this. slowed down a bit, but um it's oh. still just so intense. Jeez. Like, oh man, like just how hard they're hitting each other, just like I like that it builds on the fact that they're all super tired, but they're all, like, just still giving it their all. And, yeah, just... Uh, and that finisher, what's that called? Uh, well, he calls it the Frankensteiner. And I'll tell you, if you call it a Hurricane Rana in front of him, he will fuck you up. He's, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. He's... I mean, watch. The guy, I mean, he's, he's over six feet tall. He's high 200s. Mm-hmm. And he does a standing... He does a standing Frankensteiner. And when you watch the replay, of course, the Nasty Boys are getting their heat back after the loss, just stomping the living mm-hmm. shit out of the Steiner brothers. 
but they will throw to that Frankenstein or replay in just a in just a little bit. And uh, but Scott Steiner, just how athletic he is to pull off that standing Frankensteiner at his height. And he did it quite a few times in the WWF as well. Uh, and I think the problem was... Oh, we're in the rush even, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they just beat up everybody. <laughs> but uh, you see, they're going to run Rick into the ropes before Scott... Or into the steel post before Scott comes over to make the save and they take off. And mm-hmm. uh, it's just... They didn't have opponents that could keep up. You know, it's not if he were if he were a cruiserweight, he the the, the that move would have looked ten times better. But in this match, it just looks like it kills Brian Nobbs. And here we go. Send, Scott <laughs> sends Nobbs off the ropes, jumps up, and Nobbs just kind of leaves his feet and drives himself face first into the mat and kills himself. So just, yeah, just spikes it. They're both so big. That's it. I'm like, just that he can do that is incredible on itself. I mean, yeah. Outside of a back body drop, I don't see uh, Brian Nobbs doing a whole bunch, a whole lot of front flips. So okay, so Tony Schiavone <laughs> is interviewing Scott Steiner after the match. Here, Rick is nowhere to be found, and the goofiest shit after this brutal match, the goofiest Looney Tune shit is about to happen here, and it's like something out of the Little Rascals. You expect like kids standing on each other's shoulders when in a in an overcoat with a fake beard. Uh-huh. <laughs> He goes, cutting a famous Scott Steiner promo, of which there are so few. (laughs) And uh, please don't hurt me, Scott. I'm not making fun of you, I promise. (laughs) But here he comes. You can see the shadow, and here comes the vending guy in a horrible fake wig. Clearly Jerry Sags, because nobody is that ugly outside of Jerry Sags. Okay, and, and watch this. So he left in his wrestling boots and his ring gear. Well, look at what Sags is wearing. He's wearing his tennis shoes, for fuck's sake. He got back to the back fast enough to get out of his wrestling gear, or at least throw pants and a shirt on, and get his boots off to get his tennis shoes on for that's, this bit. They're even tied. It's like, I feel like even without the get-up, he could have just as easily just ran up behind him and just fucking... <laughs> Sorry, I don't know if you... If yeah, go ahead. Yeah. But, I mean, we oh. see him, the other brother, just run up oh, to him yeah. and hit him anyways. Yeah, Nox doesn't like, give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> like when did he he changed so fast it's like it's just completely unnecessary oh, didn't even tie his shoes <laughs> and we and then they throw to the commentary here and and paul Heyman is just dying i mean you gotta think oh, that yeah. this this had to be that whole get up that couldn't have been planned by the agent that had to be something they did just to <laughs> pop the boys in the back because that was outstanding. <laughs> just, I love it. <laughs> the kid flipping off Heyman behind him. I didn't notice that the first time. <laughs> so, so, and that takes us to the end of the match. There. So, Noah, this is your. This is one of your first experiences. Well, this is your first experience with both the Steiners and the Nasty Boys, uh, with early WCW. What did you think? I really liked it. Um, Every time I watch, like, older wrestling, I kind of expect it to be, like, really slow. Just, like, kind of, like, brawly, a lot of punches, and then, like, maybe big slams in the finishes or the spots or whatever. But this was, like, really way past what I expected to see. Um, Yeah, just, like, (laughs) from the very beginning of the match, you know, before it even starts, they're all just running at each other. And, um, yeah, like, it's, it's really brutal. Like, this is, like... It's like a. It seems like it's an actual grudge match between like the actual you know two teams, which like 
like we said earlier, it's like it just like really intensifies it a lot. So it's um feel like we don't see that much in WWE, which I would say is like a good thing. You know, you want your wrestlers to like each other, but it really does add like the element of the match. Just like it was just nonstop action, so I really enjoyed it. One of the things I loved about this a lot is that nothing was smooth. You know, nothing nothing looked like there was cooperation. There was nothing. You know, there were no there were no pinning sequences. There you know there there were no um, there, there was no hip toss into a front flip. That right, you know that you right. can tell he's holding on to his leg to get the leverage on. There was no, there was no chain wrestling in here. Although the Steiner brothers were both uh, extremely successful collegiate wrestlers out of Michigan, I, I think okay. if one, if not both of them, were all Americans. So the, these wow. guys came in with wrestling pedigree. But uh, this, everything about this was, I'm going to do this to you, not we're going to do this. Right. And, yeah, that's a great way to put it because. Um, yeah, it's pretty obvious. So uh, one of the things that um, I, I didn't know, you know, of course, they, they leave. Uh, this is 1990. Like I said, in 92, they go to the WWF and wrestle in 93. Amazing feud with Money Incorporated that's worth every second. Uh, they had a match at WrestleMania 9 against the Head Shrinkers that, you know, it didn't have the blood, but it was just as hard hitting. And uh, I would wager that hitting uh, a Steiner in the head is just as effective as hitting a Samoan in the head. <laughs> so, um, but then after they leave w- uh, WWF, which I think was in '94, they actually spent some time in ECW, and I, okay. I I didn't know that. So they wrestled Dudley Dudley. They they wrestled against Chris Pen- Benoit. They wrestled against it uh, uh, looks like Eddie Guerrero, Dean Malenko, Two Cold Scorpio. I mean, they had. They had a run in W in ECW, and I've never seen those matches, so I'm gonna go find those. And that that of course was before they went back to WCW in '96. Um, so uh, uh, this match, if you put this match on Monday Night Raw today, does it steal the show? Yes. All right. I would say so. I, I think so too, and and it's it's not because they're more athletic or anything like that. It's just because it's different. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a fight, you know. This is, yeah. Kayfabe is still kind of a thing here, in 1990, and I guarantee you at the bar tonight, nobody is fucking with any of those guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? See, uh, I, I like how you just like, yeah. It's just a fight. They're not doing flips. They don't need some flashy like running off the ropes, you know, bouncing between them. It's it's just a fight. It's like just as um, you know, hardcore as you can get without it being a I'm not sure if it's a no DQ match, but like, um, <laughs> I feel like I feel like it might as well have been. Well, that's it. Yeah. Know? Yep. Absolutely. With the chair shots right from the beginning, um, I, yeah, I don't know what the stipulations were around it, but uh, I imagine it had to be. Um, mm-hmm. So the uh, uh, so the next time on our taped study for thirty on the next episode, uh, I'm going to be covering Steve Austin, and I'm, we're not going to be covering Stone Cold. Okay, because that's. That's all pretty damn entertaining, but it's not his best work. You know, a lot of that's after his neck injury when he had to change his style. Uh, I'm going to be going back in time. This time we're going to go back to WCW. And isn't it funny, one of the companies that is... Is this when he had hair? Uh, he had a little bit of hair still, yep. Not the long hair, but he did have yeah, hair. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's funny because WCW is continuously chided as being kind of a joke in the 90s. Uh, up until all of a sudden it wasn't. But there are all these gems 
scattered throughout WCW with all this amazing talent. And this is one of them. So so the match that, that I'm going to be covering is uh, at Starcade 1993. Two out of three falls. Dustin Rhodes taking on stunning Steve Austin in a two out of three falls match for the United States Championship. And this one is uh, a barn burner to say the least. You know, it's... Uh, both of both of them are pretty young still. Uh, I loved the natural Dustin Rhodes. I still get that theme song stuck in my head from time to time. And uh, stunning Steve Austin, <laughs> what a sight to behold! <laughs> but that'll be that'll be on the next episode of Smart to Zero. By the contrast, yeah. Yeah. So Noah, if I can put you on the spot for a second, uh, of course we're covering <laughs> we're covering pre Stone Cold for that episode. Do you have a favorite Steve Austin moment from any era? Um, I feel dumb for not remembering remembering which WrestleMania this is. I think it's thirteen. His match with Bret Hart. Yes. Uh, submission match. Oh Just uh, the double, like the heel turn, face turn match. Um, just him being in the sharpshooter and just the blood running down his face. That's like that image is just Stone Cold Steve Austin to me. Just like you know, one hard dude. Oh yeah, well, and and it was it was. Um, now I adored Bret Hart, and and I still do. So for me, I didn't bite on the double turn. You know, I, I was, you know, I was one of those fans that was like, no, Bret Hart's still a hero. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, Canada. <laughs> but uh, and for me, it, it wasn't until uh, WrestleMania 14 that I really jumped on the Austin bandwagon. That match with Shawn Michaels. But um, but no, you're absolutely right. He had two matches with Bret Hart. Um, one of them, Bret won. Uh, by he used this essentially the same finish he used in WrestleMania Eight against Roddy Piper. You know, of course, at WrestleMania Eight, Piper slapped Bret Hart into sleep in a sleeper hold, and Bret walked up the turnbuckle and flipped him backwards, pinned his shoulders down, Ooh. won the Intercontinental Ooh. Championship. <laughs> in the first Stone Cold Bret Hart match. Um, uh, Stone Cold had the Million Dollar Dream, the Cobra Clutch on. And Brett did the same thing. He did the walk up and pin. Uh, same sequence. It was actually it was pretty cool because both matches yeah. were phenomenal. And that that's what sort of set up the submission match. Because Stone Cold didn't, you know, he felt like he didn't lose. He kind of got, he had one stolen from him, essentially. Yeah, okay. But um, I digress. <laughs> we could go on about this all day. Uh, so let's shift gears. Uh, we're going to jump into our continuing focus on Bill Watts Mid-South Wrestling. And this week we're covering the May 15th, 1982 episode. Uh, we're going to bring you up to speed here. So the main stories continue to center around two things. Okay, one, you've got Skandar Akbar's Devastation Inc., his his stable. And uh, that's, you know, they're targeting, that's like your one-man gang, your, your uh, wild Samoans, grappler, assassin, you know, his, 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 Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Uh, you know, your, your hired guns, your mercenaries, so to speak. Okay. And they've been targeting Mike Sharp, Big Cat Ernie Ladd, Junkyard Dog, uh, Ted DiBiase. They're, they're targeting any face they can. Dick Murdoch. Okay. And it feels weird to call Dick Murdoch a face. <laughs> That's still... Uh, and the second story is with Ted DiBiase. And he's, he's um, of course, he lost the North American Heavyweight Championship to Bob Roop. Uh, after the one-man gang interfered, hurt DiBiase's knee, put him on the shelf. This was back, I think, in, in March. And uh, 
and DiBiase didn't come back until I think late April, early May. So that his comeback is still pretty recent. That's the second story that's sort of circulating here. Uh, so Noah, have you ever watched any Mid South wrestling before in your life? Nope. Okay. Not until yesterday when you told me. <laughs> yeah, <I just> watched. <laughs> so so again, you're 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 like a '98 kid. You were born in 97. 90, 97? Okay. Mm-hmm. So this this was 15 years before you were born. Mm-hmm. Okay. This uh, this is about a month before I was born. A little okay. more than that. Okay. So this is, uh, for us, we can call it old. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm sure we might have some listeners who will disagree with us. But um, uh, we're going to go match by match like we do. Uh, okay. But uh, the lineup last week, we saw Dick Murdoch take on Larry Higgins in an absolute dud. Uh, Larry Higgins... The giant of a guy stumbled, tried to keep up, couldn't do it. I mean, Dick Murdoch seemingly had to carry him through this match. And uh, that seems like chaos leading incompetent. I mean, it's really what it it felt like. We had uh, North American heavyweight champion Bob Roop taking on Buddy Landell, which was amazing. A huge, it was just a really entertaining back and forth contest. And Noah, I would recommend if you have even five minutes, because you'll notice these matches are pretty short. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Go back and check out that May 8th episode, specifically okay. for that Bob Roop-Buddy Landell uh, match. Because sure. Bob Roop is the absolute best chicken shit heel sanctimonious prick coward <laughs> you've ever seen. I love him. I, I'm, I'm loving Bob Roop so much in Mid-South Wrestling. Oh, yeah, the Mississippi heavyweight champion, Mr. Olympia. And yeah, there are a bunch of championships back here, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Taking on Ken Wayne. This was surprisingly good. I mean, th- this was sort of the picture of what enhancement talent can do to make the star look incredible. Uh, then uh, Ernie Ladd and Mike Sharp taking on the Assassin and the One Man Gang. This is when uh, they refer to Ted DiBiase running in this week quite a bit. This is that match. Okay. Uh, then Louisiana heavyweight champion, because everybody's a champion. <laughs> Junkyard Dog. <laughs> Taking on Bruiser Bob Sweetan in a pretty fun match between just two brawlers. You know, there's not a whole lot of finesse there. There's a bunch of punches and a bunch of no-selling. And uh, I talked about this last week and I believe the week before too, but uh, no, I don't know if you know who Bob Sweetan was. No, the only two people I recognized um, name-wise was, I think, uh, Buddy Landell and then uh, Junkyard Dog and Ted DiBiase. But besides that, like everybody else uh, was new to me when I watched this. And I was wondering, I was actually going to ask you about that as we as we ran through the card here, if there were any names that you picked up on. But Bob Sweetan, to give you an idea of how tough he is. You know, one, if you listen to Bruce Pritchard, Bruce Pritchard hates the guy. <laughs> just flat, right. a miserable prick. And um, But Bob Sweetan helped train Hardcore Holly. Okay. And, okay. Uh, you know, you know Hardcore Holly's reputation in the ring and how tough he is, uh, whether... You know whether you're a fan or not. You know Sweetan had to be a pretty tough, uh, pretty tough guy. Uh, we had Rick Ferreira and Ron Cheatham. You know, essentially two enhancement talents in a snoozer. And the main event was Jim Duggan teaming with the Grappler against Jesse Barr and Coco Samoa in a show-ending clusterfuck. <laughs> uh, in most of the matches, are. Uh, it really kind of in a bad way. You know, the, the th- thing is with, with, with Bill Watts, you know, he had an hour of TV time, 40 minutes, if you cut out the commercials. And he had to fit all of his shit in 40 minutes. So, and you don't want to lose any of that time because you, you want to oh, showcase yeah, it. the end of this one. Absolutely. Um, yeah, you just have to end it. And frequently when you watch these episodes, you see the last show, the last match in the show ends in a draw. 
because they have a minute and a half or two minutes, but he wants them out there. And, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it's because this is his chance. You know, they don't want to have their big title matches on TV for free. Mm-hmm. You know, back then it wasn't TV like it is now. You know, sure. it was you get on TV to bring people to the arenas. And uh, so this is your showcase. This is like if you've ever watched the old WWF Superstars matches where it's, you know, Reno Riggins taking on Kamala or, you know, Barry Horowitz taking on any number of superstars. Uh, you know, the guy who always loses. And and that's kind of what these matches are. This is a showcase for the superstars. Uh, so let's see here. We jump in. The card this week that we're going to get into, uh, Grappler against Coco Samoa. And we're going to have a spotlight on Paul Ellering. And uh, you know who Paul Ellering is, of course. Um, Mississippi heavyweight champion, Mr. Olympia, taking on One Man Gang. Dick Murdoch against Kim Duck. Mike Sharp against Billy Starr. Uh, DiBiase and Ladd taking on Roop and the Assassin. And Buddy Landell taking on the Turk to close the show. Uh, so we are welcomed once again by the legendary Boyd Pierce. Another episode of Mid-South Wrestling. Now, one of the things I've noticed is over the past few weeks, he stopped um, mentioning who the card, uh, the matchmaker is. So uh, when I started watching this, it was always, you know, we've got a great, another great card for you presented by matchmaker Grizzly Smith, who, of course, is Jake Roberts' dad. And you haven't seen that. So I don't know if that's if Grizzly's left or if they've just phased that out of the intro or if I'm thinking too deep into it. But this week, uh, joining him on commentary this week is, once again, Cowboy Bill Watts. Uh, have you ever heard of Cowboy Bill Watts, Noah? No, not okay. at all. So Bill Watts, I won't go into his history, but uh, depending on who you talk to, certainly not a very popular guy. Uh, okay. If you ever listen to Eric okay. Bischoff. What's that? Not very likable or no. like backstage or what? No, in, intimidation, bullying. You know, I mean, I mean, this is that uh, it's his company and you're going to do it his way. Mm, okay, okay. But... You know, you, you flip the card, and he also helped make stars like Ted DiBiase, like Junkyard Dog, uh, uh, Ernie Ladd, who was pretty big in his own right, so you know, we won't give too much credit there. Um, Sting, the Ultimate Warrior. Okay. Okay. You know, these guys, eventually all these guys find their way through Mid-South UWF, okay? So Bill okay. Watts, even though he may not be very popular with some, if you listen to Eric Bischoff, you know, Eric Bischoff's not a fan, and uh, he's not alone. Uh, but he's also largely responsible for Jim Ross. You know, so okay. so he knows what he's doing even though he's not well-liked, well, right? Well, that's it. It seems like in his time, he knew how to run his territory really well when it was regional. You know, when they went to UWF and they start, tried to expand, it didn't go as well. He uh, They did convince Jim Crockett to buy out the UWF, and he, he sort of came along with that deal. But if you listen to Eric Bischoff... Bill Watts was one of the keys in burning every bridge possible between WCW and Turner. You know, okay. to the point where the company was essentially on the verge of closing when Bischoff took over, you know, if you believe what Eric says. And I, I tend to. You know, he, he made some mistakes, no doubt, but I don't see him as a bullshitter. Um, but anyway, so they, they start talking about, so we've got Boyd Pierce and Bill Watts, and they jump back to last week when Ted DiBiase left the commentary table to attack one man gang and how he was fined $2,500 for doing it. And uh, they also reveal here that you know the Wild Samoans have been the tag team champions in Mid-South for, well, since I started covering these, and that would have been back in March of 82, and probably much earlier than that as well. 
but in May 5th in Jackson, Mississippi, Junkyard Dog and Mr. Olympia, the Louisiana and Mississippi heavyweight champions, respectively, beat the Wild Samoans for the Mid-South Tag Team Championships. So they're both double title holders. And I was trying to find whether Afa and Sika left Mid-South or, or, or they were just looking for some time off or what. I didn't see much. It doesn't look like they actually leave Mid-South until 83. So uh, we'll have to see how that fleshes out here in the upcoming weeks. But um, but just an update there because, of course, those big title matches don't happen on TV back in 82. Okay. Because okay. Um, I guess it's local enough then that people could go to the arenas and see it? or Sure, sure. And you weren't paying okay. $300 for a ticket. You know, okay, okay. one of the things you'll see, because this, I think this is at Mid-South Coliseum, you know, uh, every week. And uh, one of the things you'll notice is you'll see the same little old ladies in the front row every week. <laughs> That's one of the first things I noticed, just on the first row is completely full of, like, just old ladies. Did not expect that. Well, and, and I'll, I'll tell you something. You have a great, great aunt. You know, we both do. In uh, who, you know, she's passed on now, of course, but in Missouri, in St. James, Missouri. And she loved professional wrestling. Oh, yeah. <laughs> when when we would drive down, and we're going to bore some people here for a second, but uh, when, when we would drive down to Missouri to visit our family, uh, I would go sit, and I won't, I won't say her name, but uh, I would go sit with great aunt, and we would watch wrestling. And she was a tiny waif of a thing. And she would sit in her chair, you son of a bitch, you get him! <laughs> and... It was, I, I just, I loved her. I, she was fantastic. Yeah. Of course, I, I, my, I, I don't get to, we don't get to see the Missouri family very often. And I, I, I absolutely love them. But, uh, but uh, that's it. You'll see those same blue hair old ladies and you watch them. They'll be throwing fists in their seats and they're getting into this <laughs> shit. And it's just, and I, I absolutely love it. it. It just, it adds so much to it and you don't see it now. Because I think, and I, I don't like to shit on the current product because I think today's wrestling is outstanding as well. But you don't see that same engagement. You know, people in the front row, it seems like they're there on promo tickets now. You know? Yeah. They're on their phones. I feel like a lot of it is, like, uh, there was a lot more kayfabe, like, especially back in the early 80s. Oh, easily. Absolutely. So then, like, just, like, at this point in time with the internet and how easy it is to get info, it's, like, a lot easier to be disengaged with um, just what's going on. No, you're absolutely right, and that's actually one of the reasons I started Smart to Zero. You know, if you if you listen to the early episodes, I talk about it. So many people are wrestling voyeurs now. You know, they want to read what happened in New Japan and read what happened in Ring of Honor, and I'm guilty of this too because there's just not enough time in the day. Yeah. But yeah. people aren't watching it; they're just following it, and you lose so much of it. You know, for a while it was hard for me to sit down and watch a pay-per-view event. Because it was like, oh, I could just read this afterwards and imagine what it was like, you know, just read the play-by-play. But you really kind of lose the ability to appreciate the athleticism when you do that. But um, Definitely. But let's jump into the first match. So the grappler taking on Coco Samoa. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm assuming you've never seen either of these two before. Probably not a lot of... Uh, no, not not either one of them. Okay. Um, and something I will say, just... Um, what really surprised me was I expected, like, as I mentioned earlier, it's like, especially in the early 80s for these matches to be, like, slower. Like, I expected them to be a lot like, you know, like Hulk Hogan matches where it's just, like, right. drawing punches, you know, like, not not very much going on the whole time. But, like, this really surprised me. Like, it just defied what I expected to see. Um, 
like a lot of the slams were like they're pretty forceful and uh like it looked like you know they're like really bruising each other and um i think the 10 limit time limit might have helped that because it's um you know just get all your shots in while you can and try and you know impress the audience at home or like in the crowd you know just really make a name for yourself in that short period of time you have so um yeah that it really surprised me in that way good i'm glad and 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 you notice they announced that time limit on every match every week yeah so it's not you know if they announce the time limit today on impact or on or on wwf or, or wwe i'm sorry or anything like that people are gonna think okay they announced the time limit this one's going at least that long yeah you know because it's not something they talk about here it's you get a finish virtually every time despite the time limit and mm-hmm. so when they do hit the draw so those draws at the end of the show Mm-hmm. You don't get people mad about it because yeah. Yeah. They, you just accept there's a time limit for each match, and if there's time at the end, there's a match for TV time. And when Impact was still TNA early on, when they were on Fox Sportsnet, uh, Fox would run a match ticker, a time, and they would use time limits. And and I thought that was great, and I wish they bring it back because one, I think it would also be easier to format the show. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But. Uh, uh, Coco Samoa repeatedly impresses me. I mean, he's so fast. Mm-hmm. He's so athletic. Uh, he's ahead of his time, to be sure. I mean, the acrobatics and everything for the early 80s. And, and early on, uh, uh, I used, I was making fun of him. You know, he, he started showing, when I started seeing him in, in March, I was making fun of him because to me he looked like a stunted Jimmy Snuka. You know, it, it was like if Jimmy Snuka lost a foot of height and started eating a lot of carbs, you know. And... Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm glad you laughed because I thought it was funny, too. And then after watching his matches for a few weeks, it was like, oh, I'm an asshole. This guy's awesome. <laughs> and, but but that connection, it's it's not a coincidence because Coco Samoa and Jimmy Snuka were actually very close. And oh. and you see that, that crossover of the styles. And if you look up Coco Samoa, I actually found out that he wrestled under the name Jack Snuka. So, oh, okay. so, it, it, it's, so they were friends. And... Um, uh, he has he has some colorful past as well that I won't get into because he's he's passed on and I don't I don't really wish to to shit on him especially sure. because his matches are so good. But um, the grappler is Len Denton, and Len Denton actually had a huge hand. If we're talking about Northwest, like the the, the Portland area wrestling, in turning Scott Levy into a household name, you know he helped develop Raven. When Raven was still, I think he was Scotty the Body okay. back then. Uh, and I think Raven actually interviewed him, interviewed Len Denton on his show, on, on, on his podcast early on. But uh, the Rappler has his hands in a lot of different superstars, and you see a lot of that with these older guys. They had a hand in training so many of these guys that we grew up watching, or at least I grew up watching, and then in turn trained the guys that you grew up watching. Yeah, so sure. there's this legacy that they, they helped cement. And Len Denton actually uh, wrestled Goldberg in the 90s oh, for WCW yeah. under his real name. And so he wrestled, he didn't wrestle as the grappler, he wrestled as Len Denton. And during the match, Mike Tenay, I think it was, uh, uh, made a comment that Len Denton was an accomplished grappler <laughs> in his own right, kind of throwing <laughs> back to the gimmick. Clever, but, yeah. um, but so, so what, what did you notice about the offense here? So you said they're moving faster than you expected. Uh, the slams are harder. Uh, mm-hmm. What else did you see with this? 
Um, it flowed. It, I thought it flowed pretty well. I mean, like it's pretty engaging as a match. Um, the only part that kind of confused me was I don't know if like a grappler actually hurt his knee, but there's like a moment in which uh, grappler like knee drops Coco to the head, yes. and then like he holds his own knee like his head was so hard that it hurt it, and then yep. Coco just kind of gets up and like kind of no sells it. Yes. I don't know if that was like part of the like match i did like it just is. to build up Kulkorp, like he was hurt it just kind of confused me no I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because there are two things at play there okay so uh the grappler used to be the north american heavyweight champion ted dibiase beat him for that title and hurt his knee doing it you know uh dibiase mm-hmm. hurt the grappler's knee doing it with the figure four leg lock oh okay so that okay. the second half of it is coco samoa is being billed as a samoan and what's mm-hmm. the part of the body on a samoan you never hit the head <laughs> exactly so there were two pieces there and when it happened i did i kind of did a double take like you and then i started rolling i i just i started i just thought it was brilliant i absolutely loved it um, yeah. now one of the things here I know that, that i think you'll notice as we go on is when they start either you know when any wrestler starts offense when they start getting their their shine or their heat they're focused on a single body part mm-hmm. and the grappler it was all to the left arm of coco samoa you know, it started with a big shoulder breaker, knee drops to the arm, arm bars. And then when Coco would get control, it would be a lot of the chops, a lot of the headbutts, a lot of the flashier yeah. moves yeah. that honestly, you know, for as bulky as he looks, he has no business doing, but he does so well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it, it carries through the match because they only have uh, under three and a half minutes. This match is th- under three and a half minutes long, but the grappler built that arm so much that when he delivers that that sort of bulldog to Coco's shoulder at the end, that yeah, that's the yeah. finish. So, okay, that that yeah, that makes more sense. I was like, um, is that like his finisher, or did he like you know? You actually, know? No, no, and, and you don't see a whole lot of finishers. You know, you, you see okay, moves, okay. but um, for the grappler, I don't know if he used that specifically. I think he was sort of a jack of all trades, but his big deal was he had a loaded boot. And, and this is one of those southern wrestling things that I miss so much. The loaded uh-huh. boot, you'll see the assassin put something in his mask later on, you know, oh, for the yeah, headbutt, okay. you know. And so he'd stomp his boot to let you know it was loaded, and then he'd kick somebody, and they'd go down like, you know, just oh. like you kick him in the nuts. And yeah. um, and he actually does that later on in the show as well. But okay, um, okay. but he does. He, he single-arm bulldog into the, uh, into the pin, uh, so... The grappler goes over Coco Samoa for the win in 3 minutes 23 seconds. Before the next match, we get a spotlight on Paul Ellering, who, of course, we know in the future, after his knee decides he's not going to wrestle anymore, uh, manager of the Legion of Doom, uh, which included the Road Warriors, uh, manager of the Disciples of Apocalypse, uh, including one of my favorite guilty pleasure wrestlers, uh, Brian Adams, uh, and most recently, the Authors of Pain. And this is Precious Paul. Yeah, this is Precious Paul. What? That's he, him? That's him. That's him. Oh, my God. And wow. Man, can you believe the build on this guy? I, he's chiseled. And if you watch some of the old LOD matches, he's still huge. Like, he wrestled some six-mans with, with the Road Warriors. But, hit, like they talked about here, his knee was hurt. And it wasn't the first time. And that knee is eventually what ended his wrestling career. And he blew out his knee really, really bad. Uh, really badly. But, yeah, this is this is Precious Paul Ellering. This is... Uh, wow. And I know he didn't want the travel schedule when they went to the main roster, and I understand it. But when the authors of Pain left Paul Ellering, a little part of me died. 
because yeah. I, uh, yeah. I, I I adore Paul Ellering. I, I if I ever get the chance to meet the guy, I might cry. <laughs> I'm not ashamed to say it. Yeah, okay. He's just he's one of those guys where when you meet somebody you admire so much and you you have trouble controlling. I felt the same way when I met Mick Foley. Um, mm. You know, just just a big I'm in a glass case of emotion. You know. <laughs> and, um, yeah. So, no, what did you think of this spot with Paul Ellering? <laughs> okay, well, it terrified me, actually. Because, like, one of the first things he says is, even as a kid, I grabbed the nurse instead of the bottle. And then here, <laughs> then here he is, like, just bringing a whole bunch of kids into the oh. ring, like, to watch them exercise or help them. So I was like, that's, like, kind of the first red flag uh, oh, I, I saw there. Um <laughs> Oh. And then just how he dressed, like, was this, like, what the typical, like, 80s douche looked oh, like back man. then? Man, even, even late 70s, you look at superstar Billy Graham, you look at Jesse Ventura, you know, these guys, colorful, colorful. Mm-hmm. And, um, well, hell, go back and watch, like, Rocky Two, <laughs> and you'll see this <laughs> shit. But, um, oh, I, I absolutely love it. This was... When the kids are doing the push-ups, one, it was great. It was, it was a Hogan-esque moment. For mid south, because so, of course. I'm um, sorry. Let me interrupt you. Real sure. Is um, I, I I was getting the impression that he was a heel, but is is he a face or a heel right here? You know, and I wasn't sure either because I I haven't gone far back enough into the mid south library. It certainly appeared that he was a face because Jesse Barr was in the ring with him. Uh, Jesse Barr's mainly been a face on TV when he's enhancement okay. talent. Uh, you know, when you got the kids in there and you know he's being friendly, they're having fun. It seemed like he was coming back as a face, but I have to believe he went out as a heel. Yeah, because yeah. what what was hilarious to me about the segment and what like made me really love it was like he lets the kids do like set up sit ups for ten seconds. He <laughs> says they all want to be like him, yeah. and then like after ten seconds, he's like, "All right, it's my turn." Just adds one hundred thirty five pounds of weights to his chest and starts oh. doing the sit ups himself. That cracked me up. It's like, yeah, here you are, big guy, just like showing up a bunch of like ten year olds. I thought that was hilarious. Just oh. how much of an asshole he was. <laughs> that was fantastic. <laughs> well, and then taking those uh, those those uh, double stomps from the top rope. Oh, yeah, you know, when you uh, watch them, they were script tonight. You know, like... yeah, it was. Uh, but I mean, yeah, that is that is precious, Paul. So next time you see, you rewatch an NXT match with the Authors of Pain, just mm-hmm. imagine. You know, Rachel Ellering's dad <laughs> doing this. Um, so next week, we're going to see another one of these. Okay, the next the next episode of Mid-South Wrestling has him, but this time instead of sit-ups, it's push-ups. Push-ups, yeah. So yeah. it's going to be great. See, I was looking forward to that when I heard that. I was like, oh, what's he going to do this time? <laughs> uh, so match two, Mississippi Heavyweight Champion, Mr. Olympia against the one-man gang. It's a non-title match. Olympia is a big guy. There's no two ways about it. But next to one man gang, he looks downright oh. mediocre. See, and what was funny was, um, like, I, I got the impression that th- this was kind of like weird because so this is the first time I've seen Mr. Olympia, mm-hmm. and well, like with this match, I was getting the impression that he was the underdog, you know, because he's mm-hmm. getting like knocked down by one man gang and everything. He, he keeps trying to get him in the sleeper hold, um, and then I was like, but then his name's like Mr. Olympia. I was yeah. like. So that, that was kind of, like, um, confusing since it's my first time watching. But, sure, yeah, sure. so apparently Mr. Olympia is pretty big, too, then. Yeah, Olympia is a big deal. You know, like I say, he's a Mississippi State heavyweight champion. He's the Mid-South tag team champion with Junkyard Dog. Uh, the, guy's, the guy's built. 
Like if 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 you go back and watch previous weeks with him against like Ken Wayne or Ron Cheatham or any of these guys, he dwarfs them. Like the guy looks like a superhero. Okay. And uh, under the mask, Mr. Olympia is a guy is Jerry Stubbs. You know, okay. at, by this time he's only been in the business for about six years. He went from like Georgia Championship Wrestling, eventually came over to Mid South. Uh, just to give you an idea, before his Mid South uh, run here, he'd already been in the ring with Ricky Steamboat, Bob Backlund, Stan Hansen, Randy Savage, Abdullah the Butcher. You know, th- this guy had some some cred. So he comes into Mid South. They put him under a hood. And he's Mr. Olympia, and he is, you know, he's the superhero. You know, the mis- the mysterious superhero. One Man Gang started in 77. So, you know, even he's only about five years into the business, but they both have, as far as years in, they're both about the same. Okay. 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 Now, One Man Gang, this is kind of like when you have two freight trains that have always been traveling side by side, and now they're finally going to cross tracks. You know, One Man Gang has been running through everybody. Kind of like you see when he's tossing Olympia and, and you know just kind of throwing him around like a rag doll. That's been Gang's gimmick, with the exception of uh, it felt like I don't know if Ernie Ladd doesn't like the guy, but he wrestled Ernie Ladd a few weeks ago and Ladd didn't sell shit for him. But okay, <laughs> uh, Olympia here is making him look amazing, and making Gang look good. He's he's bumping yeah. left and right. Uh, he's making sure everybody understands that one man Gang is no joke. Yeah, and let, let me add on to that real quick. Just something I really liked about the match was, um, like, they really solidified, like, One Man Gang's blows to be, like, lethal. Because yes. here, um, especially with uh, the stomps, Miss uh, when Mr. Olympia's on the floor, uh, One Man Gang's trying to stomp him, he keeps dodging it. Mm-hmm. That, that's just something I really liked about it. It's just, like, he's trying to dodge or, like, doing whatever he can to prevent um, One Man Gang from, like, landing a blow on him. Absolutely. So, yeah, I, I really, like, enjoyed that aspect of the match. Yep, absolutely, and and that's that's been you know you get hit by a four hundred fifty pound guy. It doesn't matter how big you are, you're probably going down. Right. And, uh, yeah. And uh, the Olympia never got more than a one count. Anytime he actually got ganged to the mat and covered him, it was never more than a one count. Yeah. Uh, so you don't get your one two kick out. Yeah, he was really relying on the sleeper because of that. Like, cause what what was cool about like kind of the like entering psychology was like he he knows he's not gonna be able to overpower him. Right. So like, yeah, he has he has to put him to sleep. He has to put him in the sleeper, which is he tried to. I think he tried for like three times yep. that match. Yeah, it was at least, yeah three times, and that's sort of his finish too. So he was trying to put him. He was trying. Uh, he being Olympia was trying to put Gang down with his finish early. No, the finish the the finish of the match actually comes because Mid South had a rule where you're not allowed to jump off the top rope. Oh, okay. And uh, you saw you see this in WCW later on when Watts moves over to WCW. You can't throw him over the top over the top rope. You can't jump off the top rope. Or that's an automatic DQ. And this is one of those situations where you kind of chuckle when they talk about DiBiase being fined. Because Olympia comes off the top rope with a missile drop kick that sends one man gang over the top rope, right. so he should have been DQ'd twice right there. And uh-huh. and uh, General Skandar Akbar comes in to plead his case, and that's when uh, Akbar's in the referee's face. You know, no, he jumped off yeah. the top. He jumped off the top. This match should be over. Olympia nails Akbar, and yeah. uh, and one man gang gets to Pearl Harbor him and drop that giant elbow for the win in four minutes thirty four seconds. Not only does one man gang win the match and look outstanding because he just defeated the Mississippi State heavyweight champion, Mr. Olympia looks even tougher because he went 
you know, he lasted damn near five minutes with this behemoth, yeah. and he did not lose clean. Mm-hmm. You know, he lost because he was Pearl Harbor. And yeah. uh, another fun match. You know, you're not going to get the clean finishes necessarily when you have Akbar's devastation ink in yeah. the ring. So. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the top rope thing. Because, like, I kind of, like, had to figure out, like, what, okay, what are, like, the 80s, early 80s rules now? Because um, they, they couldn't run each other into the ring post. I knew was something they brought up later in the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, nothing off the top rope, so you can't throw people over the rope either, right? Right, right, and that's um, and and it's funny because you'll routinely see something like that happen, you know. Uh-huh. And and what it is is it's, you know, it's not them ignoring the rules so much as it is, uh, you know, getting the crowd hot. Yeah. You know, okay. So. Okay. But uh, Akbar's got a busy night tonight because he stays out there for the yeah. third match. Uh, he's got Kim Duck, uh, another hired gun, so to speak. Kim hasn't been on TV much recently, but he's going to stick around for a little while in a bounty match, which essentially means he's there to collect a payday by taking out Dick Murdoch. That, that's all it is. There's no special stipulation. Now, Dick Murdoch, I don't know if you're familiar with his name at all. No. but uh, So Dick Murdoch, by this time, is a grizzled veteran, and you would have to say towards the end of his career, even though he's not, Right. Uh, he started wrestling in 1965, and uh, of course, most famously for me, he was part of the Texas Outlaws, and his partner was a young Mr. Dusty Rhodes. Oh, okay. And uh, the stories you hear about Dick Murdoch kind of creep into the commentary a little bit. You you heard him talk about how he probably has an armadillo in his sack, and <laughs> the thing is, you listen to stories about Dick Murdoch. And they'd find donkeys in hotel rooms. You know, he'd ride horses into bars. I mean, the guy's nuts. And, um, so it's, it's sort of uh, just an internal rib there. The first time I saw Dick Murdoch come out on Mid-South TV was after Killer Carl Cox disappeared. And he comes out. He doesn't have his wrestling trunks on. He starts going through his sack. He throws out like a six-pack of Budweiser. He throws, you know, it finally gets his tights on and pulls them up before he gets into the ring. And um, yeah, What's his nickname? It's like... Oh, the Redneck Dick Marine. Redneck or the Red or Captain right? Redneck. Cap- yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, again, Akbar paid Kim Duck to come in and hurt Murdoch for the bounty match. Okay. This match starts way calmer than most Murdoch yeah. matches I have yeah. seen. Um, you know, Duck takes control early. It looks like it's a lot of throat thrusts. Uh, and what's funny is every time Dick Murdoch tries to throw a punch, the ref either grabs his wrist... Or gets in the way. See, that's a punch, or like a punch to the head. Is that also a disqualification worthy? Or yes, yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. So closed fists, um, uh, closed fists, uh, anything to the throat, and actually back then karate moves like chop those karate oh, yeah. chops and all that. Those were uh-huh. illegal too. Martial arts was illegal okay. in the ring. Um, but uh, so like I said, Duck keeps control for a lot of it. When Murdoch does get control, you're looking at top elbows. You know, you see that Dusty Rhodes yeah. influence there. Um, yeah. And then this match just devolved into an absolute slugfest. I mean, it, it it started as a wrestling match and turned into horseshit real fast. Yeah, like half of it was he was just in that arm grapple. <laughs> yeah. And and it was you know what was Akbar goes into Murdoch's rucksack and pulls out his trenching tool. That's that shovel. Yeah, yeah. And, oh, and then we had the classic. Uh, oh my bad, gosh. Bad guy ducks, bad guy hits bad guy finish. Yeah. Absolutely. And then you notice Murdoch right in front of the referee nails Kim Duck 
with the shovel and still gets the three count for the win in four minutes, 22 seconds. Let's keep in mind that poor Ted DiBiase, who is not yet the million dollar man, so may not have the funds to cover this, is fined $2,500 for leaving the announce table. Because here in Mid-South, the rules are enforced. But over the last few weeks, one, we saw Murdoch hit Jim Duggan and pin him in front of the referee and now Ken Duck. So we'll kind of uh, <laughs> let that be how it is, I guess. But <laughs> match four, we have Iron Mike Sharp taking on Billy the Starman Star. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, what was that name? It, it's like Billy the Star. Billy the Star Child Star. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Star twice. Yeah. Uh, Billy Star looks like Braun Strowman's before picture. (laughs) I I need to look at him again. He he really, he he does. He looks like maybe if Eric Rowan and and, and Braun Strowman had like a a short kid. But but this one, you know, this is sort of your classic enhancement match. This is sharp overpowering a smaller opponent. Uh Uh-huh. Back here, Mike Sharp is wrestling as a babyface. You know, this is before his enhancement days in the WWF. Uh, by a long shot. Uh, really, when Billy Starr is getting offense, it's like a top wrist lock and maybe a couple of punches. But Mike Sharp, if you ever listen to what some of his uh, peers would, would say, like Lance Storm, I, I think it was, said that Mike Sharp would be doing cardio for hours before really? the show. You know, running up and down the steps. And he'd take, what, three, four showers a day. And uh, uh, he'd actually been locked in arenas because he was still training after the show, getting his cardio in. I mean, the the guy, you know, obsessive-compulsive? Probably. (laughs) But uh, disciplined. uh, Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, a lot of, like, not even, like, just, like, simple, like, suplexes, but, like, there are a lot of power moves, like, in this match. So, like... Like uh, Cesaro today, it's just like his endurance is just off the charts, it seems. Absolutely. And and when you get more Mike Sharp matches, they're a little bit longer. This one, of course, he wins with that Canadian backbreaker submission in uh, about 3 minutes, 45 seconds. So it's so a quick match again, but um, Mike Sharp can go. And yeah. I, I wish I would have seen... It, it sucks because, um, you know, I'm not even born yet when this is happening. I bet Mike Sharp is having three and four star matches in arenas off TV and there's no footage. And I've, I've talked about this before, yeah. these, these these incredible matches. Or Ric Flair will say he and Ricky Steamboat had 100 matches that were better than their than their trilogy in front of live audiences that All never right. saw film, you know? Interesting, yeah. And nowadays, you don't get the regular arena shows in your area. It's not regional, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, if you're in Des Moines... You go find Impact Pro Wrestling. That's your indie yeah, fed down yeah. there. Up here, you check out Heavy on Wrestling. You know, it's it's um, you know because they bring in these folks and you do get a regular presence. Uh, if you're in the cities, you go to First Ave, and and you watch the shows there. I mean, you know, Gargano and Ciampa and Ruby Riot and all those guys were wrestling down on First Ave before they hit NXT and the WWE. So um, you know, you hit those independent shows to get the same experience that we sort of wish I would have had during this time to be able to see these shows uh match five is uh dibiase teaming up with ernie ladd against bob roop and the assassin uh Mm -hmm. before the match they threw back to last week when ted dibiase ran in to defend mike sharp and attack the one-man gang because remember we follow the rules here in (laughs) mid-south and uh, 
Uh, so what, what did you think of this match, Noah? Um, I enjoyed it. Um, like, some of the teamwork was pretty cool. Uh, assassin, like, the coward heel, like, runs back in the ring. Uh, I think it's Ernie Ladd that gets out, and then he just runs away again. And then, of course, the ref, always having to, like, chat size the face and, like, get in their face for 30 seconds while the heel can just, you know, do whatever. <laughs> that would Absolutely. Normally- disqualify yep just absolutely that, that happens to the heels interesting yeah, <laughs> well but... it's just like in war games somehow the heels always won the coin toss it's um but and and, and the spot that you're referring to is ted dibiase locks on that figure four leg lock to bob root early in the match now that's dibiase's finish and okay. um so yeah the assassin climbs in to break it up but ernie lad starts coming so assassin hightails it out until the referee can <laughs> intercept ernie lad at which point, then the assassin grows a set and comes in and breaks it up. <laughs> now, do you, and, and this is, uh, a lot of the folks listening know this because I've talked about it before, and it's a pretty well-known fact, but uh, the assassin is Jody Hamilton. Okay. Okay. And, uh, Noah, do you remember, do you, uh, do you know who his kid is? Uh, Johnny Hamilton's kid. Jody Hamilton's no, kid. So, I don't know if you'd remember, because this, this would have still been, uh, you still would have been pretty young. But if you've watched any old WCW or even some WWE around the invasion angle, okay. uh, there's a referee named Nick Patrick. And Nick Patrick was the heel referee for the NWO. He also oh. wrestled Chris Jericho when Chris Jericho had one arm, one arm tied behind his back. <laughs> He's probably the biggest, the physically the biggest referee in the history of pro wrestling. Like the guy should have been a wrestler. And I think he was at one point. <laughs> sure. But, um, you know, later on you're going to see Jody Hamilton's son as one of the premier referees in the sport, uh, which is kind of oh, neat. Okay. And, of course, you hear uh, you know, you hear folks talk about the gorilla position right behind the curtain. In WCW, as Tony Schiavone will tell you, that's the, that's the Jody Hamilton position because that's where Jody, when he was older, that's where he would sit. And he did that job oh, for okay. WCW. Uh, so he's not just another masked guy. The assassin is a pretty big deal. And, okay. Uh, uh, let's see. So, so let, if you know the answer to this question, um, that's um. So like, I'm pretty sure they're like. Uh, so with the masks and everything. Yep. Do they do this so that they can have like different or separate identities from their like original um. Like gimmicks or wrestlers or like what's uh, uh like what's the deal with them having masks sometimes and. Well, I, I think it really it depends on the guy. You know, uh, okay. it's um, Georgie Animal Steel would wrestle under a mask when he was in his hometown because he was a teacher. And in the summers he would wrestle, he didn't want to lose his job. So he'd wrestle under a mask <laughs> okay, so they didn't okay, know okay. who he was. Um, for for uh, the assassin, the mask, the mask was a heat-seeking tool. You know, he'd, he'd put that, he'd put, he'd load the mask, he'd put that in the forehead of the mask, that, that, that oh, was okay. brass knucks or whatever, and he'd drive the headbutt in. So it was oh, a way to cheat. Sure. And it also, it, it, it made a gimmick. So it, it promoted the mask versus mask or the mask versus hair or, or, you know, the faces. The one thing they could do is try to get the mask off Jody Hamilton. Or they didn't know, who, they didn't announce who he was back then, of course. But, yeah. um, and actually, this, this carried through into the 90s in WCW. Uh, the, the, the masked assassin managed Mr. Wonderful Paul uh, Orndorff for a while. And one of the things that would happen is they try to, to, to try to get to pop the crowd. The face would try to get that mask off the assassin. Mm, and, sure. of course, they, they never did. But uh, 
it's essentially like just a a multi-purpose tool (laughs) absolutely absolutely and then uh you know well like with uh, the grappler you know he has the mask here it comes into play in this match and uh when and then he could wrestle in other places as len denton you know yeah it it gives you the ability to change there but um Mm -hmm. this match i was actually i was almost a little disappointed in this one just because i've seen so many good bob root matches and so many fun ted dibiase matches that you throw the tag in there and and you give it you know a five minute essentially a five minute run time there's so much to get in and so really this match is to further a story like i didn't even know what's going on like for like uh the last minute or so it's just mm-hmm. like a cluster everyone in the ring i don't i think i didn't even see the pinfall when it happened yeah and it was fast because so much happening absolutely so you see yeah so there's there's a ref bump i uh yeah. Yeah, the ref goes down just as ted dibiase is hitting the power slam which he also used occasionally as a finish so they couldn't get the pin uh, right the faces couldn't get the pin one man gang ran in and ernie lad and dibiase catch him and start pounding on him so you think okay no it's uh-huh. okay the faces have this but then the grappler comes in because the assassin's nowhere to be found by this point. He just kind of sneaks off. And, oh, okay. and the grappler comes in wearing the assassin's mask. See, I didn't even notice that. And it just... <laughs> I did it, not notice I'll tell you what, what I loved about it is the assassin wrestles in a full bodysuit, right? The grappler is wearing tights and no shirt. <laughs> and, and he throws on the, 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 the assassin's mask, loads up the boot and hits Ted DiBiase with it and gets actually pins him like the grappler gets the pin pretending to be the assassin in the match and because the ref is so groggy he doesn't notice it and they all split as fast as they can to get away with it uh this is a five minute match this is some old timey wrestling shit right here yeah. <laughs> I love and it what's, what's hilarious about the ref getting knocked out just like the kayfabe so strong you see the the people on the side like in the seats just yelling at him get up and they're like explaining to him like everything that's happening absolutely absolutely your best instant replay in the old days was the front row (laughs) and it was (laughs) oh but it it just i loved it they're even close to the same size but they get away with swapping (laughs) i mean that just it it cracked me up i loved it 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 actually it made it it made the fact that you have four of your biggest stars in a five-minute match worth it for me mm-hmm. and then we have a sort of uh, i don't want to call it a throwaway because I, I love buddy landell but uh buddy landell taking on the turk for tv time we've only got about two three minutes left in the yeah, show at this they point kept, um, they kept counting down mm-hmm. i remember and i was like i don't i did a layer of like a pressure just seemed because i'm sure yes. the ref was telling amara you guys got 30 seconds like 10 seconds you know you know and actually i don't even know if he did because they didn't have your pieces you oh, know, yeah, of course not. Yeah. Uh, so uh, you know, he doesn't call for the bell. You'll notice at the end of these matches, if you watch more of these episodes, the ref doesn't call for the bell at the end of TV time. The timekeeper does. Okay. And then the ref signals that it's over, and the wrestlers don't seem to hear oh. it because they keep going for a while. You know. Yeah, sure. Um, but you know, Landell sold for the majority of this match, as short as it was, and that's not unusual. Uh, for his matches, a lot of straight arm strikes from the Turk. Um, you could tell they were getting close to the end and they were probably calling out time cues in the ring. 
because yeah, you see yeah. Landell try to roll up the Turk. Yeah, that, that's what I was about to say. He rolled him up like two or three times, mm-hmm. and then Turk kept kicking out. So yeah. I was wondering if like um, yeah, if one <laughs> like of them wasn't following, to, like save his uh, uh, face or just like right. um, appear to still be strong. He just didn't wanna right. know, get pinned. Like it, it seemed like uh, Buddy Landell was like more desperate to end the match as it went on because like right after the first roll up off the power bomb or whatever he tries to do it again he's like all right idiot like let me (laughs) (laughs) yeah absolutely and it was you know i'm sure some of that was just to get the crowd fired up a little bit towards the end of the show but yeah you know i'd wonder the same thing when it's the same small that that cradle that inside cradle small package uh to try to get the win several times in a row there if maybe the turk was supposed to keep the shoulders down yeah but (laughs) I mean, really, you know, in, in a two-minute match, it really doesn't matter. Um, you know, we, we get uh, uh, Landell went for a small cradle for a two-count as time expired. Another time limit draw to close the show. Next week, or next episode, it won't even be a week because we, we are going to start cranking these episodes out a little bit quicker for everybody. Uh, we're going to keep moving forward with Mid-South Wrestling TV uh, from May 22nd, 1982. On the on the card, we're going to see another spotlight on Paul Ellering. This time with the push-ups, and uh, uh, we have the Captain Redneck Dick Murdoch taking on Rick Ferreira, Bob Roop against Coco Samoa, Ernie Ladd against Kim Duck, One Man Gang teaming with the Grappler to take on Mike Sharp and Jesse Barr, uh, Mr. Olympia taking on Billy St- Billy Star, and Ted DiBiase taking on the Turk to close the show. So, Noah, with this being your first ever episode of Mid-South Wrestling, what do you feel like walking away? I really did enjoy it, honestly. Like, um, I really like the uh, quick pace of it, you know, because um, not that I'm knocking on it or anything, but just like with Raw or SmackDown, it's like um, sometimes like it just seems like there's like filler matches or like just a lot of like downtime in the matches. But I really appreciated just the quick pace of all of these um no, and they, they did really get a lot in, like, with the 10-minute time limits they had. Like, um, I feel like I kind of understand it, or understood the stories they were trying to tell, even though they only had, like, three minutes. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, um, so, yeah, it's, like, it's it's fun. It's, it's just fast-paced. It's, I don't know, and it's, it has, like, like kind of cool, like, 80s atmosphere to it, you know, just watching it, so. Oh, those yeah, splash screens. Those splash screens are something else, aren't they? That's, <laughs> yeah. uh, and and it was... Really cutting edge stuff, and and when you really think about it, again, this is a forty minute runtime without commercials. When was the last time you saw any modern day wrestling? And again, I'm not shitting on modern day wrestling by any means. When was the last time you sh- you saw six matches and a spotlight segment in forty minutes? Yeah, right. I'm becoming a bigger Mid South fan every week, and I'll tell you, pretty soon things are going to start heating up. Like you're going to start seeing bigger names come in. Uh, Kamala's going to okay. show up. You're going to see more hacks okay. on Jim Duggan. You're going to see, you know, eventually you're going to see the Road Warriors. Eventually you're going to see, you know, Dusty Rhodes has wrestled previously. He, you know, he'll be back. You'll see Sting and the Ultimate Warrior. You're going to see Eddie Gilbert, oh, cool. Rick Steiner, you know, all these huge names. Jake the Snake Roberts. They all they all work their way back through Mid-South. Cool. And okay. so this is like this slow burn that, man, when it pops, it's, it's, it's just... <laughs> I'm, I'm having a, a ton of fun with it, but um, but I'm glad you enjoyed it, and I and I hope I hope that you'll watch more on your own because it is man, 40 minutes is that you know you could 
burn through that pretty quick. But yeah, we're going to keep rolling with this. Uh, we certainly were going to be adding content as well. And that brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Smart to Zero podcast. So let me know if you enjoy the Mid-South series or if there's something additional you'd like me to cover. Reach me on Twitter at SmartKidAZero. I'd love to add uh, weekly or bi-weekly watch-along style show segments. You know, Sunday Night Heat is on the WWE Network now. They've added some more uh, Mid-Atlantic content. They've added uh, Thunder. If they ever add WCW Worldwide, I'm afraid my wife is going to leave me. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, but there's so much content out there that we can talk about. Let me know what you want to see, and we will watch it. Uh, if you're interested in participating, hit me up. Uh, don't forget to follow our friends Dallas Barnes at All Wrestling 420, Oz Marley at Steel Post Media, and uh, and of course, thank you so much to my co-host today, Noah at Noah Seven BC. Yeah, thanks. A lot of fun being on here always. So, and uh, and 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 to all of you listening, thank you as always for downloading the show. Thank you for supporting Steel Post Media. Uh, you know, I've been a professional wrestling fan for 30 plus years, and the goal with this show is simply to share that passion as a fan and hopefully help you develop uh, or continue develop, to develop your appreciation for what these athletes do. And uh, Noah, if, if we didn't do this today, would you have ever thought to go back and watch Mid-South Wrestling from the early 80s? No, I didn't even know it was on the WWE Network until I asked you how I'm supposed to watch it. <laughs> I was <thinking> <laughs> Absolutely. So, so uh, absolutely. Dig through the network, see what you can find. You know, continue to tune in. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to the Smart to Zero podcast on your favorite platform. Don't forget to support support your local wrestling promotions, your internet wrestling community, and remember to be kind to each other. I've been your host, Alex Fanabecker. My co-host has been Noah Carroll, and we'll see you next time right here on the Smart to Zero podcast. Mm-hmm.